All right, I'm going to come grab a seat. Open up to John chapter 3. Before we get started, I also want to mention it's uh, Lauren Sly's birthday today, so don't let her get out of here without, without saying happy birthday. Or an awkward side hug, yes, yes. So as you, uh, as you come back to your seat, as I mentioned, uh, a group of us from the church ran the half marathon yesterday, and I'm not really a runner, so this was all new to me. Uh, we did have uh, someone in the church, Roberta, her daughter, Jordan, ran the full marathon and ran it in like three, minute, three hours and 24 minutes. She finished third in her uh, age class and qualified for Boston. And then there was me. Um, no, it was a, a good experience. And we had to get there. Uh, we got there. We had to wake up at like 3 a.m., and uh, drive down to Mesa where it was at. And I, I've never done this before. This is like a crazy new experience for me. There, there were like lines, a line of cars uh, on the freeway. I mean, it was like a traffic jam. Felt like we were going to the Phoenix Open. Um, you had to get there like an hour early, and then they bust you to the starting line. And it was about 37 degrees uh, yesterday morning. So freezing cold, um, get out. And, uh, and, and I don't know if, like, you've been, like, you know about, like, the runner's world. Like, these are, like, high adrenaline people, like, kind of crazy. And so we get there, and, like, music's, like, blasting through the loudspeakers. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a party at, like, 3.30 a.m. when it's still dark and cold. And they have heaters set up everywhere, and it's just this, they pack you into, like, this, this street where everything kind of starts. High energy, lots of noise, a DJ that's there and you're like fired up to run. And you could see the starting line, it's like this big tunnel that you run through, and you're kind of waiting with anticipation. I'm like jumping up and down because I'm freezing and I have all this adrenaline pumping through me, and then the race starts. And you run out through the tunnel, and as soon as you get to the other side of the tunnel, you're away from the heaters. <laughs> and it feels like the temperature drops like 25 degrees. It goes from like comfortable, okay, to like freezing. And you can't hear the music anymore, and it becomes silent. And there's no lights, and it becomes dark. The sun hasn't, hasn't come up yet. And like, you're running in the, in the darkness to silence and cold. And it was like the most eerie. All you can hear is the pitter-patter of feet of, of 6,000 people running through this thing. It was so bizarre. And so I was running with this group of people, and I turned on music. And uh, I was like, I need some good pump-me-up music. So I had some, like, Macklemore going, some 21 Pilots, some, uh, you know, Arcade Fire. And that was good. I, I was, like, five, five miles running to some upbeat music. And then I started to, like, you know, get pretty tired, and, and my feet started to hurt. So I'm like, I, I'm going to put on some Christian music now. <laughs> you know, I needed something positive and encouraging. So um, put that on. It was running the race. And then by, like, the end of the race, I was listening to, like, old hymns, like... <laughs> Amazing grace, you know, like, save a wretch like me, Lord, help, anything. Um, and then we, get to the, we got to the end, and, and I felt great about the whole thing, but my feet were just killing me, just absolutely killing me. I'd never had my body go through something like that before and then make it to the end. And I didn't think I would care about finishing, um, but it was amazing. I, I was like, the this, this sense of satisfaction of accomplishing something like that just blew me away. And, like, I've seen, like, you, these people who run marathons, and they get to the end, and they're, like, overwhelmed with emotions. And, and like, I had that experience where it was just, like, so content that I had done this. And just an incredible, an incredible time. 
Um, and, and we had so many, so many people from our church run, and it was just like this bonding experience. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. What, what a great just experience to go through. And, and now I have a story that I can tell about it. And I wanted to open up with this story because I wanted to share like this wonderful experience that I had uh, as, as, uh, as we ran yesterday. And I think that stories have a way of, of sharing our, experiencing, our experiences with others. When we experience something good, we like to tell a story about what we experience. For Lent this year, we're going through this book called The Gospel of John, written by this man named John, who's probably one of the best storytellers in history. He's an expert storyteller. As you start to read his story, you find how good of a storyteller he is. I love what Eugene Peterson, Peterson, who wrote The Message and a number of books, he writes this about stories. He says that story is the most natural way of of enlarging and deepening our sense of reality and then enlisting us as participants in it. Stories open doors to areas or aspects of life that we didn't know were there or had quit noticing out of overfamiliarity, or suppose we're out of bounds to us. They welcome us in. Stories are verbal acts of hospitality. I love that idea. Stories are verbal acts of hospitality. And as a church, as we talk about Jesus, the Son of God, what we do is we look at this story that John tells. How he invites us into this experience he had that was real that was good, that was transformative. And he tells us this story and says, I want you to experience this too. So for this season in the church calendar called Lent, we've been reading through the Gospel of John. Two weeks ago, we started with John chapter 1, and we looked at this expert storyteller opens with this poem, this prologue of his story of Jesus. And in this poem, he declares who Jesus is, and he he uses this language declaring that Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus is the word, the logos, who became flesh. And he declares who Jesus is. And then he spends, after this prologue, he tells story after story of what Jesus is like. So he opens up this gospel declaring who Jesus is. And then he starts to say, and let me explain to you what I've experienced from this Jesus. Last week we had a guest, Cole, here in town from Southern California. And he shared this John chapter 2, the first story about where Jesus turns water into wine. He says, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. He's at this wedding feast. And he makes something very ordinary and turns it into something that is extraordinary. It reveals to us that, that God's timing is perfect, that God cares about our needs. But then there's something much deeper going on here. He has this way of transforming things that are ordinary and making them extraordinary. And does the same thing in our life when we encounter Jesus. John goes on to tell two other stories after the wedding at Cana. And these stories are found in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. And the two stories that he tells definitively welcome all into Christian life. And I think that these stories are fascinating if we look at them just isolated as stories. But when you put them back to back, you find that this expert storyteller is revealing something to us about what Jesus is like. And so today I want to look at John chapter 3. And the story is about this man named Nicodemus. And we'll read the first three verses in John 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, there was a Pharisee named 
a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they were born again. Interesting little dialogue. So first of all, there's some details going on here. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, which is interesting. Why is he coming at night? Uh, well, I think the, gospel, the, the writer of John's doing a little play on words here. He's talked about how Jesus is the light of the world. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus in darkness, and he meets the light of the world. So there's something going on there. But then you have to ask, what's going on with some of Nicodemus' motives here? Why is he coming at night? And you think, if he's coming at night, this is probably a private conversation between him and Jesus. Doesn't want others to necessarily know. And if you read the Gospels and you know the stories of Jesus, you'll, you'll know that a, Nic- a Pharisee like Nicodemus, uh, there were all sorts of questions and confusion about who Jesus was. So this could be a bit of a controversial meeting. So maybe he comes at night because he knows his reputation is at stake. And then he doesn't really ask Jesus a question. He's trying to kind of probe who Jesus is. And they start this discussion, and he's talking about how he knows that Jesus is from God, and he's this teacher, and the things that he's doing, he must be from God. And Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And Nicodemus the conversation goes, he's, he says, well, what does that mean, to be born again? How can anyone be born again? How could someone who is old be born again? And they start to have this conversation on what it means to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus starts talking, and he says, Nicodemus, you, you're the expert in the law. You should know these things. We know that Pharisees knew, knew the law very well, knew the scripture very well, and yet he's here asking these questions. Maybe Nicodemus is trying to trap Jesus in this moment, trying to confuse him as other Pharisees did, get him to say something that uh, he'd later regret. Or maybe Nicodemus, Nicodemus is earnestly seeking truth, and he wants to know more about this truth that Jesus is proclaiming. Maybe he's simply curious. We're not sure what Nicodemus's motives are. But this isn't a story about Nicodemus. This is a story about Jesus. Jesus who encounters Nicodemus and starts to talk about a life that is eternal, that comes from a transformation. One point he talks about the spirit and how the spirit works and how the spirit, much like the wind, we can't really track where the spirit goes, but we see the effects of it in the much as we see the effects of the wind. But he talks about how When you enter into this life of the kingdom, something changes. There's a a rebirth of sorts when you come into relationship with Jesus. God bless you. (laughs) In my life, I identify with Nicodemus because I kind of grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm a Pharisee, but maybe if Pharisees were around today, I might be one. I feel like I know the scriptures well. And yet, come to Jesus with all sorts of questions. Come to Jesus with all sorts of curiosities about how Jesus works. 
Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you're an expert of the law. You know all of this. What are you missing? When I was running the marathon yesterday, I would, every other mile or so, they would have water set up or Gatorade or this goo, which I would never, ever have unless I was running a marathon. But it was amazing as I would approach these water stations how much my just body desired water. Water became the most delicious thing in the entire world. When we got done with the race, they had French toast set up, like a station where they were just giving away French toast. I don't even like French toast. It was the most delicious thing I'd ever tasted. It was like manna from heaven. And it's amazing when your body is desiring something, something so simple meets a need. And it reminded me of this story that my dad used to talk about when I went to college. I've maybe told some of you this, about getting this knowledge of the scripture. As we get to know certain things about the Bible, like Nicodemus, we become experts in the knowledge of it. My, my dad would say, don't miss the life that scripture gives you. And in the same way, when I would get to this water station, I knew my body desired this water, but I didn't take the water and just consider you know, the molecular formula of how two hydrogens and one oxygen come together to make this liquid that meets this need deep inside of my life, and if it's at a certain temperature, it'll refresh you know, my body temperature. I just wanted to consume the water. I just knew that I needed it. I desired it. It was life-giving. And I wonder, at this moment, Nicodemus shows up, and he knows all about Scripture, and Jesus is saying, but Scripture gives you life. There's this new life that comes. You're, you're a rebirth in a way. Something new happens. Remember the first time I had really experienced this new life, this life-giving uh, spirit of God that came within me it was when I was in high school on this mission trip to Mexico. Hanging out in Mexico, I went to a Christian school, and they thought it was a good idea to take us to Juarez, uh, which is like the most dangerous city in North America. Um, they don't, I don't even know if they can do that trip anymore. I don't think they do. But I remember we were, we were in this uh, rehab center, this drug rehab center. We were meeting with these people who had, had given their lives to different substances that they had just completely become dependent on. And we would see that in these service, like these, they'd have these worship services where these people would, would have this breakthrough where God would transform their heart. They would leave behind everything that had consumed them physically to experience this thing that was life-giving. It was this transformation where they would come to Christ and their whole life would change. And as Jesus talks about this kingdom of God that we enter into, he talks about this, this new life that comes this rebirth that is like a transformation and it's like living water. And we can know all about it or we can experience it in a way that is real. And when Jesus meets with Nicodemus, he talks about this rebirth that happens when you come into an encounter with him. Something new must happen when we meet Jesus. Some of you have experienced that. And then you've also experienced this fact that the power of God changes lives. And my thought is that as Jesus is encountering Nicodemus, he's talking about this kind of transformation. When you come to meet God, everything changes. It doesn't mean that life is all of a sudden easy, but you experience something that is real. There is an eternal life that you enter into. This is a story about how Jesus works. Then this story is quickly followed by another story. 
A story in John chapter 4. And this story, there couldn't be maybe a more different character than Nicodemus. If Nicodemus was a Pharisee uh, who knew his scripture well, who was probably upper middle class, respected in society, John chapter 4, we find almost the opposite. It's the story of the woman at the well. And I'll read through just some of the narrative and, and listen to some of the details that come out. And John 4, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had uh, given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So he leaves because he's starting to get pressure from the Pharisees, and he starts to travel, and he has to go through this place called Samaria. And if you know a little bit about the context of this, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. There was a tension there between these two peoples. And so what would happen is if you had to travel to Galilee, you would go all the way around it to get to where you had to go because you didn't want to cross through this area. And he's at the well. He's exhausted. I mean, it's not like he ran a half marathon or anything. but No, I'm sure I, I understood what that thirst is like because he's sitting at this well. And then it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can, I ask, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Anyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has this encounter with this Samaritan woman. And they start to talk about this weird detail about getting a drink from the well. And the Samaritan woman thinks that he's talking about physical water, and all of a sudden Jesus starts talking about something deeper, a living water of eternal life. We don't know what the woman's motives are as she encounters Jesus. She just kind of meets him at happenstance. She's there, probably running errands, comes to the well, and Jesus is sitting there. We don't know a whole lot of details about the woman. It never gives her her name. But as the conversation goes on, she finally decides that whatever Jesus has, she wants. She says, well, give me this living water. And then the conversation goes, Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. All of a sudden, the conversation gets very personal, very serious. And the woman's response isn't shame. The woman's response isn't to run, but the woman's response is, this guy knows something about me. He must be prophetic in a sense. And she engages in conversation with him. And Jesus reveals more and more about who he is and what he's up to in this world. 
So much that the life, the life of this woman changes. There's this transformation that takes place. There's this new birth in this conversation. We don't know like the motives of this woman. We know that her, her reputation uh, is probably not very good. We know that for Jesus to talk with her, he's breaking some different social rules to talk to a Samaritan, to talk to a woman, to talk to a woman of this reputation, and he doesn't care. He engages her, and he starts to talk about a life that is eternal. I love what Bob Goff says. He's an author that wrote a book called Love Does, and he says, most of us spend our entire lives avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And we start to see something about the compassion of Christ here, that this woman who has a bad reputation, he's able to approach her and talk about life that is truly life. There's something here about the compassion of Jesus. Revealing, John is revealing to us what Jesus is like. In one story, we have Nicodemus, kind of this guy who goes straight, uh, has it all kind of figured out from a religious standpoint. In this other story, we have this woman who is a Samaritan, who has a bad reputation in her town. And Jesus meets with both of them because this isn't a story about this woman at the well. It's a story about Jesus. And what we find is that Jesus desires relationship with both Nicodemus and the woman at the well. These stories are fascinating, and there's a lot that can be said that I can't get into today. But John puts these stories back to back. There's a juxtaposition of the details. John's telling us something about what Jesus is like in these stories. I mean, in one story you have a man, a prestigious man in society. In the next story you have a woman of questionable character. One story, it takes place in a city, a center of sophistication and education. The other story takes place kind of out in the middle of nowhere, on the countryside, in a small town. One story is about a religious insider, a Pharisee, The other story is about a woman who is probably a pariah, an outcast. That was a middle school vocabulary word, pariah. (laughs) Probably an outcast from society. One man's respectable, the woman is disreputable. An orthodox Jewish person and a heretic, a heretical Samaritan. In one story... Nicodemus takes the initiative seeking Jesus in the night, in the darkness. In one story, Jesus takes the initiative to talk to the woman. One story, the man has a name. The other story, the woman is anonymous. We never know about her. One story is about human reputation at risk with Nicodemus taking a risk to go meet with Jesus. The other story, Jesus' reputation is at risk. And you start to see this expert storyteller unfold this story that reveals to us what Jesus is like. Jesus is for all people. Whether you have it all together, whether you live this life that is safe, a life of security, a life of doing everything right. Or you've lived a life that you're ashamed of, a life that 
puts you outside of community. A life that you hide things. Jesus is for all people. He desires relationship with both. And as John starts to tell the story of what Jesus is like, at the very beginning of this gospel, he puts these stories back to back. He says, this Jesus loves people. This Jesus loves people. I love it what uh, Eugene Peterson says. If you've been following in your journal, which we hope that we, we give you these tools to help kind of dive into to scripture, has this quote where he's talking about these stories. He says, this is not a story about Nicodemus or a Samaritan woman. This is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the primary figure in both stories. And all, although Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman provide the occasion, it is Jesus who provides the content. And I would suggest that's the same with your life as well. And everything that has to do with living, which is the large context in which everything that we do and say takes place, Jesus is working at the center. Jesus is, more, is far more active than any one of us. And it is Jesus who provides the energy. There is a corresponding feature. The stories taken together insist on accessibility. There's an unfortunate connotation that often accompanies the contemporary use of the word spiritual, a tinge of elitism that only a select or in-the-know few can get in on it. But these two stories dismiss even a hint at that. The God-breathed life is common, it is totally accessible across the whole spectrum of the human condition. We are all welcome into life, period, and there are no preconditions for following Jesus. This Jesus loves you, and he loves me. And he desires relationship with you. As Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and they're having this conversation on what entering the kingdom of heaven is like, in the middle of that conversation, Jesus says the old verse that you've probably heard. This is the context of this verse. He says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. To save the world. And he says, Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The old John 3.16 verse that we know so well. The context of that is this conversation with Nicodemus wedged between the story of him and the woman at the well. God's love is for all people. This week uh, was very sad week for the Christian world, as Billy Graham passed away. Some of you know Billy Graham. He's probably had a huge influence on some of the older people's lives in this room. <laughs> Which means he's had an influence on all of us. He was considered America's pastor. This great man that talked about the love of Christ. And I love this quote, and there's many quotes from Billy Graham, but he talks about life with Christ and salvation is this. He says, salvation is always good news. It is news of God's love and forgiveness, adoption into his family, fellowship with his people, and freedom from the penalty of sin, liberation from the power of sin. When we come encounter with Jesus, we experience this transformation. He invites us into a life, a life eternal. He 
invites us into a life everlasting. Today, Tim's going to come up, close us with a time of reflection, worship, and prayer. And we're going to take communion together. Communion represents God's love for us. Whether you're in the camp with Nicodemus or in the camp with the woman at the well, this love is for you. And as John says, whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Whoever opens their heart to God, he comes in and transforms it. And I'm not sure where you're at today in your relationship with God, if you have a relationship with God. But he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. He says, I long to be in relationship with you. I don't care about your past. I don't care what you know. I don't care where you were born. I love you and desire a relationship with you. And today, we want to invite you to open your heart to that. If you've never done that before, this is a great place to start. What does relationship with God look like? It starts with this. Opening up your heart and say, God, come live in me. Transform me. Let me be born anew. We have different language to describe it, but this relationship can start here and now. So as Tim comes up, I'm going to take a time uh, to give us just moments to reflect in silence. And uh, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, I invite you to encounter this God today. Sometimes we seek him, desiring answer to our questions. Sometimes God meets us in the middle of nowhere. My prayer is that he would reveal himself today to you. And if you've never opened up your life to this, if you've never opened up to your heart to this, I invite you to pray this prayer. Lord, meet me here. Reveal yourself to me. The same love that was for the Samaritan woman, Lord. We desire it here and now. This life that is eternal, Lord, we invite you into our hearts. Maybe you find yourself in the Nicodemus camp. You've known about this. You have an understanding of the story of God's love. But your experience just seems dry. That you would allow God to come in to give you fresh, fresh life, living water. Maybe like the Samaritan woman, there's things in your life that you, you don't like to talk about because you're embarrassed of. There's things that you're ashamed of. You would entrust those to God today. That he would transform it as he did transforming water into wine. Maybe like Nicodemus, you're confused 
We have a lot of questions about reality, the way God works. God can handle those questions. Maybe you need an experience of just something real from him today. I don't know where you're at. The invitation is to open your heart to what God has for you. I'm going to say a prayer, and then if you're ready, you can move to communion. For us, communion is a physical, visible symbol of invisible grace. It reminds us that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. That all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this bread and this cup of juice represents the incarnation, the death of Jesus the resurrection. We proclaim that as a church. This is the story that we're invited into. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. For stories like this, Lord, that show us the spectrum of humanity and how your heart for humans isn't stopped by labels isn't stopped by our past. Because ultimately, it's not a story about us. It's a story about you. Lord, we ask that you would give new life in this room today, a rebirth, that you would fill us with living water, fill us with your love. And we turn to you now in prayer and worship. We love you. Amen. As you leave today, one of the things that we do to celebrate relationship with God is we go public with our faith. Uh, we go public by baptism. Baptism is coming up for us. Our next baptism is after Easter. If you have uh, decided to have a relationship with God and you've never gone public with that before, we'd love to celebrate in baptism with you. Maybe it's something that you've never gone public with, but you've had a relationship with God for a long time. So it's your joyful celebration for our church. That's coming up. And if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you about it. One last thing from this story. We see that this is what Jesus is like that John's revealing. One who desires a relationship with Nicodemus and the woman at the well as well. It means that we have a response as the body of Christ and how we interact with others. And my prayer, my hope today is that as we leave this place, we would be like Christ, having grace for both, whether you're in the Nicodemus camp or the woman at the well. And we would desire a relationship with him because those are the kind of people that Jesus loves. We're called to love as well. My hope is that as the body of Christ, we would reflect that in our everyday life as we leave today. So as you leave, may you see people as Jesus sees them. May you offer grace as Jesus offers. May you be a blessing to this community. Love you all so much. Have a wonderful week. You are dismissed.